This episode of Humanize Me is sponsored by my mom. That's right. It, it, and I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, I know that I've been talking about how we're in search of sponsors and, and stuff like that. My, my mom actually sent a check last week to the Humanist Chaplaincy at USC. And she said, look, I believe in God. I think you're, you're, you're off the beaten trail in a lot of ways. But man, I love what you're doing with young people. And I think it's great if people don't believe in God. I think they should be in fellowship and they should be motivated to make the most of this life. And I love what you're doing with the kids. And so here. And so, yeah. So this episode is sponsored by Peggy Campolo uh, of Bryn Mawr, PA. And if you happen to see Peggy Campolo on the street or if you know her email address, you should send her an email and say... Your son loves you because it's so true. You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, I love all of you right now because I was just talking to John Wright, who engineers this podcast and helps me with the website and does all that kind of stuff with me. And, and I said, you know, I have no idea how many people listen to this podcast. He said, oh, I can find it out for you. He said, listen, on the first podcast, you had like 600 people listen, 600 listens. And he said, the second one, it was a little bit more. It was like 700. He said, the last one, the one you did with Roman, he said, you're up around 1,000 listeners. And I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's a lot of people. I mean, we don't do any advertising. Like, we're not doing anything except putting it out there. But it's growing because you are sharing, evidently sharing it with other people. And I've getting a lot of feedback now. I'm getting emails back from people all over the place. guy from Brazil writes to me. A friend of mine from um, Florida. And then people I don't even know are saying this podcast is, is fun for them. And so, first of all, thanks. Thanks for listening and thanks for the encouragement. But the other thing is like, I think we might have something here. I think we might actually be able to build an audience. And if I can get enough listeners, then I can go after kind of cool guests who maybe we wouldn't otherwise get, but we'll say like, look, we got like 5,000 people listening to the show, so you got to come on. And we could kind of make something here with this kind of angle we've got on living the good life. And, and making a difference and making the most of our lives. And so if you're into it, all I would say is maybe for this episode especially, just bounce it around. Like tell people, like check it out. And we'll see if we can pick it up and maybe get, I'll keep you posted on the numbers. But it's, it's looking good right now. So thanks. The other thing that's crazy right now is John, who is the documentary filmmaker that's making the documentary about me and my dad, he released a trailer this week. And he just put it on like my Facebook page. He put it on a couple of other Facebook pages. And he called me the other day. He was like, oh my gosh. He said like, I can't believe how many people have emailed and said they want to be on the list to know when the documentary comes out. They want to distribute it. They're, like evidently there's a lot of interest in this thing. So if you haven't checked out the documentary, um, you can go to my website, bartcampolo.org. And uh, it's there. You could go to my Facebook page and, and it's there. But yeah, that's kind of cool. I'm, I mean, it's funny because I shot that thing with my dad a while ago and John's been working on it and trying to find the funding to finish it and all of that. And so like that conversation feels like I haven't thought about it for a while. And then all of a sudden I see it on this trailer and I'm going like, wow, I would watch that movie. So yeah, that's, that's kind of exciting too. 
And yeah, if, you, if you're interested in any of this stuff, or if you just want to know kind of what's going on with me or what my latest thing I put out is, barcampolo.org is a really good place for you to go. It's also a really good place to go for you to go if you think this kind of humanist outreach, this kind of humanist ministry is cool and you want to support it financially because we're dying in a pile financially, barcampolo.org is the place to do that too. Um, it's all there. All right, listen. The, the interview I'm about to, you're about to hear is with me and my friend Ryan Bell. I've been on his podcast and I said, look, dude, you got to come on my podcast. And he did. And we actually end up talking about this idea of secular ministry and what that all means. And I actually, it was funny, as soon as the conversation was over, um, we turned off the microphones, I was like, hey, I don't care if anybody else likes that conversation. I loved it. And he said, yeah, me too. He said, because we actually know each other, and care about each other. There's a freedom in the conversation that I think you'll pick up on. And that freedom probably won't be there when I interview Donald Trump and other world leaders in the future. But it's there on this conversation. I hope you like it. Let's get on with the show. So you're on your way to... On my way to work. Where is that? Are we, are we, are we recording? We are. Oh, we sweet. Are. But, I, but you know, we'll just ease into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. No, yeah, I, I work at the uh, new Iron Triangle Brewing Company in the Arts District. Really? Yeah. So I'm a bartender. And and how long have you been bartending? Two months. Yeah, just two yeah. months. I remember when you started yep. and, and you were kind of excited about it. Yeah, it's does cool. Does it remain like an exciting thing to go into? Yeah, it does. I mean, I work only on the weekends, so I have three days on, four days off. So that's enough time for me to rest and recover and get back into it again. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, right now we've had the same beers on tap for a couple of months and they're brewing some new stuff. So I'm excited about that. It gets more interesting when you introduce something new. And then like, will you know about the beer and you'll tell them it's, it's hoppy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have to know a little bit about the beer and be able to talk to customers about it. And because we're a brewery, we do get a lot of, uh, you know, beer nerds that come in, not just people that want to go to the bar and have a drink. I mean, we get that too, but we also get real aficionados and journalists and people who know beer and. Yeah, it's a serious place. It's a scene. Yeah, I mean, craft I, beer is a scene. Because you know, like Marty used to run the, the like one of the best coffee shops in Cincinnati, and it was one of those you know coffee snobs would sometimes come in, and she had to like she wanted her baristas to know enough, but she didn't want them to scare off normal people, right. and like there was all this kind of like vibe of right, you know. You're not really asking me to pour over that. Right. It's supposed to be done in a cold brew. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, people come in and and the beer is good. I mean, I took the job before we had a drop of beer. So I was sort of taking it on faith, if we can put it that way. Yeah. um, uh, To see hope. And so, but the beers turned out to be really good. So I'm excited about it. That's cool. Yeah. I work really late on Fridays, though. I I close at 2 a.m. and I'm usually home by three. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, that's just that thought. Yeah, it's different. I mean, when you're on your feet going like that, the time goes by and you don't feel like if you were trying to sit up at home until three, you couldn't fall asleep. Yeah. You couldn't do it. No. Uh, or trying to watch TV or read. You just fall asleep. I would. But when you're on your feet running around serving customers, and you're like, my goodness, it's one thirty in the morning. I don't even feel like it's one thirty in the morning until you get in the car to go home. And then you're like, oof. Yeah. Now it's now it's tired. Time to go to sleep. <laughs> okay, so that's actually not a bad segue into what like so I knew you were coming in. Mm-hmm. And um and it was funny because I was I was riding to work today on my bicycle with um my headphone in my one ear cuz that's when you're riding a bike in the city. You got to have traffic. one ear. Yeah. Yep. 
And I'm listening to Mark Maron's podcast, WTF. Yeah. You're familiar with this? Oh, yeah. yeah. The best ever. Right, right. Like, we're all like, oh, I want to be Mark we Maron. Wanted, we yeah, all yeah. want to be Mark right, Maron, right. yeah. Right. So, so, so since we've been on each other's podcasts, like, today I'm Mark Maron. That's right. Last time you got to be Mark Maron. That's right. It's like little <laughs> kids playing, like, I get to be Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm listening to him, and he's, and he's interviewing this comedian named Eliza somebody, like Schlesinger or something, something like that. But like he always has these comedians on there, right? And they spend half the show talking about doing comedy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what like we always end up talking about what we believe or where's God or how does it work. And I'm like, we're secular ministers, okay? Yeah, I mean we're secular content producers. We're secular. Yeah. Leader, whatever we are. Whatever you want to call it, yeah. You know, like I'm the humanist chaplain at, at, at USC and you're like running this life with life after God. Right. And it's like not just a podcast, it's like mm-hmm. all this stuff. Right. So I thought like, we're like comedians. <laughs> and I thought we should talk to each other the way comedians talk to each other on WTF in terms of saying like, remember when you were in that club or like, what do you do when a heckler does this? Like, oh, right. I was, you know. And what I was saying is like, what's the thing that we do? Like, do you ever think about like, what is your crap? Like you're, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're secular ministers, but we were ministers before for a long time. Both of us. More is that more of that's the same than is different. I think. Absolutely. So I feel like I have 30 years experience to talk about this nonsense. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's really, I mean, being on the podcast, you know, hosting the show is you're you're a journalist really in a way like you're curating other people's stories um trying to draw out the interesting aspects of of someone's story or if you're you know like i just had susan jacoby on uh, the show a couple weeks ago and she just came out with a new book uh called uh, uh strange gods a uh, secular history of conversion and so in that you know in that case i'm trying to get into her background a little bit because anybody can read the book or read a review of the book but i want to know a little bit more about her and what motivates her to write a book like that i just had bart ehrman on the show it uh i just recorded it today so i got two barts today bart ehrman and now bart campolo so it's today's bart day and uh, so i think it's it's about telling stories and about um sort of holding those stories for people to find you know i, I always say that what people need as they're going through religious transition is they need um they need a community so they know they're not alone and they need some information so they know they're not crazy. And, you know, I think that's what we're trying to, trying to do. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, it's interesting because when I said like what we do, Mm. like I podcast and I'm excited about it. Like, like this thing is finally starting to happen where I get letters and, you know, you've, you talk to people. Yeah. Um, and, and the numbers grow and you're like, I think this could happen and right. pe- this could be a thing. Right. Um, but I, like, I, I think of this as a chance to talk about what I do. Yeah. But what I really do is talk to people. You know, right. Like, I yep. just, I mainly talk to people one-on-one lots. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I do that over the phone more than you do. Like you do it more in person on campus and around the neighborhood and stuff. And I do a little bit of that too, because we're in LA and a lot of the people that I interact with are are here and I travel and talk to people. Um, But the connections are just as real. So for instance, um, when we, when I first started doing year without God, I got a lot of, you know, mail, uh, email and so forth. 
And uh, over the course of that, I connected with this guy named Walter. And uh, he and I exchanged some emails and some tweets and stuff. And then when I did the launch party for Life After God last November in Atlanta, he came because he lives in Atlanta. And then about a month ago, his daughter just wrote to me and told me that uh, he had been diagnosed with stage four melanoma and oh, wow. had just put together a living will and tried to straighten out what he, how he wanted things to go. And uh, she asked him if anybody he'd like anybody to speak at his funeral. And, and she, he said he couldn't think of anyone. And she reminded him of me and how he had spoken about me in the past. And he had emailed me and said that I'm his atheist pastor. And I said, gosh, I'm so, I'm so honored, you know, that you would consider me that. So anyway, he, uh, he passed away this morning at 11, 11 this morning. And she wrote me again and said, you know, can you come to Atlanta? So none of the details are set, but you know, he's someone I connected with virtually. And then we met one time in Atlanta um, at, in a very, you know, really beautiful environment, a lot of you know, like celebration and laughter and yeah. just people having a good time. And, uh, and now he's not with us anymore. And uh, I just looked up some photos. I have a, a selfie with him that we took, that he took, and then, you know, we shared and stuff. So, I mean, I think that's, it's like, I mean, that's exactly like being a pastor, except now my, my flock, if you will, or my, the people that I are, I'm doing this for and with, I, I prefer thinking of it as doing it with people rather than for them. Uh, are all over the place and I don't get to see them face to face as much. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because at USC, I'm just like a regular old pastor. Right. In the sense of like on Sunday night, everybody comes to this big dinner and I see everybody. And then somebody's like, Hey man, I need to talk to you about this situation. And I'm like, okay, Thursday we can, let's meet up for, for lunch. And then, you know, and I'm just like, I'm right. When you were a pastor, yeah, you would Sunday morning and then, People would be like, can I come talk to you? Right. Yeah. In my case, it was Saturday morning. But, right. Okay, but yeah. Right. But then I would have lunches with people. I mean, every almost every day of the week, there was a lunch with someone uh, in the neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, I, I do, in a way, I miss that in-person kind of community. And it's starting to develop. One of the guys I work with at the bar is someone I met at Sunday Assembly uh, here in L.A. And that's actually how I got the job at the bar uh, is through him. And uh, he's learning the brewing craft uh, with our master brewer and... So we hang out periodically, and um, I've gotten to know a few other interesting people around town. So I have a few of those in-person connections. But I, I guess the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because well, yesterday I had one of those virtual ones where a guy from Brazil mm. who heard the podcast writes me an email and says, Hey, I grew up Christian. Everyone in my family is Christian. I'm a leader in my church. About two years ago, all of a sudden, the whole thing fell apart for me. I don't believe in God anymore. Wow. I haven't told anybody. You're the first person I've told. Right. But he said, I've listened to your podcast. Um, ironically, I've listened to Ryan's podcast. How funny. Like, yeah. And he said, you guys, what you're talking about seems really hopeful and positive to me. It's not like this negative anti-atheist stuff. It's just, hey, what are we going to do? How, yeah. how do we make the most of this life? What do we do now? Right. And so... He said, so, so I'm, but he said, I'm full of anxiety. I've got kids and I, I'm, I'm worried about how am I going to raise these kids outside of this community and what's going to happen with my wife? How's she going to feel when I tell her? So anyway, we, he sends me this email about all this anxiety he's got. I write back to him, give him some basic stuff. Right. And then I think, well, wait a second. So I said, do you want to Skype? Yeah. So he says, yeah, that would be great. He said, so we set a time and we Skype. And for an hour, we're just talking. Right. About 
And I'm asking the kind of questions that I would always ask, like, tell me a little bit about the family. What are the big issues here? Mm -hmm. How did this happen for you? Okay, like, have you thought about this? And I thought, like, it's the same old stuff. And then, and then today I was at the, at, at the university and I met with a guy and he's trying to figure out whether to stay in his job or not. Right. And the real question is, does this job reflect his values? Is, this, is it making him who he wants to be? Is this right. a good use of his time, which is his life, right? which is all he has? Yeah. And, uh, and I guess when I was thinking about those conversations and then thinking about coming to talk to you, I was like, when you sit down with somebody one-on-one, whether it's in person or on one of those phone calls, like, what's your, you know, if we were comedians, I would say, like, how do you, you know, like, like how do you open a set or what do you do with a heckler? And I'm sort of like, when you sit down with somebody you don't know, mm-hmm. What do you, what's the first thing you ask? I usually ask them to tell me their story, just their short version of their journey, how they got to where they are. And I often ask, I mean, I do coaching, same kind of right. what you're doing um, with, with clients. And, you know, I usually ask them to just give me the basic outline of their story. If they haven't, usually I have them write a bunch of that down ahead of time. So I have a little bit of an idea about it, but I also want to get to, you know, what's, troubling them you know what's the issue what, bring, they, what brings you here yeah what brings you here or how can i help you know what can i do to help and you know a lot of times you know when people whether they come to a formal therapist or a good friend or something in between um they they want sometimes we just want to be told what to do and of course that's not our job is to just tell people what to do but to help them listen to their themselves like when i was a pastor i would have said help them listen to the holy spirit you know help them listen to their their conscience or got what god was telling them Um, well, the only difference between then and now for me is that I don't believe that there is a thing out there that's telling them. I think they're listening to their, their heart or their, their gut or their intuition or their, their own wisdom. So I, I, you know, I have this sort of, I guess my, my humanist outlook on people is that we all have more wisdom about the world and life than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. And when we don't know what to do, we probably have a pretty good idea what to do. We just need to talk it out with someone and get a little validation or a little course correction or someone to say, but have you thought of this? Or um, I think you're being too hard on yourself. Or I think you're not giving this other person enough credit. Because a lot of times people are really worried that their family and their friends are just going to cut them off. And most of the time, like when they come out as an atheist, most of the time that doesn't happen. Most of the time people are pleasantly surprised how mature their friends and family actually are. They might be deeply disappointed. Uh, or sad, but those are all legitimate feelings that we have when we find out news that we don't like. Uh, and people are often very surprised that their family still loves them. Um, they maybe share this one thing less in common, but they're going to be okay. So, so sometimes it's just encouraging them to like step into the unknown. It's okay. You'll right. be all right. But is that, I mean, are they all coming to you to talk about coming out or not believing in God? Like, cause I got people coming to me to talk to me about like, I can't find a girlfriend or I don't know how to make friends with people or my brother is dying of cancer and I don't know where the boundary is in t- terms of how to take care of him. Right. Like it's everything. Yeah. For me, it's more, I mean, my work is more directly related to religious transition and people going through religious transition okay. who need a little companionship or guidance through that process. Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily have, um, sort of the general pastoral questions, although people that I've gotten to know a bit better, that comes up too. Um, I mean, especially when you're into uh, coaching with someone after several sessions, what, what really comes up for people 
especially if they've had a career or or some kind of vocation in Christian ministry. Oh, yeah, that's a whole thing. Then they have to they have career yeah, questions. There's all sorts of stuff going. Right. On. Yeah. What are they going to do? Or their spouse left them. Um, I'm starting a new a new segment on my podcast. It'll be a separate segment. Um, that I don't know if it'll be on every episode, but it's, I'm, we're calling it X Files. So it's just going to be stories from people who have been believers of one kind and are either believers of a different kind now or not believers at all. And uh, you know, some people, some people, their families have abandoned them. I mean, in spite of what I just said a minute ago, that that usually doesn't happen. For some people, their their spouses leave them. Well, um, I, I know more people who say like, "I'm still together," but like, it's not the same. It's not the same because we don't have the same kind of connection and you know it's funny you're talking about susan jacoby i heard her on um krista tippett's show yeah on being that was which, good that's a great podcast by yeah the way. it really is um, you know and people say like i want to listen to the stuff like like the, I, this guy who drove me around the other day said oh, i listen to you and i listen to ryan bell and he said i used to listen to all that stuff so negative but he said like you guys you give me hope right and uh i said i thought I, I thought like krista tippett's another one where when i get done re- listening to her podcast i want to be a better person right um, you want to live more deeply. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I was listening to her talk to Susan Jacoby. Mm. And Susan Jacoby was talking about how, Terry asked her about her husband. And she said, well, what if he had been a believer? And Susan Jacoby said, I, I can't imagine falling in love with somebody who believed in a supernatural God. It's not that I'm prejudiced. Like, I have lots of friends who don't, like, I don't sure. think it's stupid to believe in God. I understand where that comes from. She's like, for the most important close relationship sure. of my life, if I can't, if that person's not really seeing the world the way I do, I just don't know how we get close. Right. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, what happens when that changes in the middle in midstream? Right. It's tough. It's hard on people. I have, I have friends all over the map. So, you know, one of my friends, he and his wife really transitioned together, which yeah, like Marty and me. Yeah. Well, that's true. Like you and Marty and, um, others are holding it together, even though one spouse is more theist than the other. But usually in those cases, the theistic spouse is not a hardcore churchgoer, evangelist, trying to proselytize and all that business. It's usually just, well, you know, I, I like my belief in God and yeah, I'm just going to yeah. hold on to it. And maybe we'll go to church once in a while with, with the in-laws or whatever. Um, but where there's couples where the one spouse is really convicted that it would be almost a sin for them to stay with this person, you know, um, because when, when a person leaves their faith, or discovers one day that they don't have it anymore. Um, you know, for the for the for the fundamentalist, that's um, you know, there's a verse in in Hebrews that talks about a dog returning to his vomit. You know, it's like worse that if you worse than if you had never known yeah, anything yeah. about God. You know, it's like you're now deliberately walking away. And for some people, that to stay with that person would be uh, treason. And those breakups are are really rough. Yeah. And I've talked to people through, Me too. through those um, kids too, like. You know, how do we raise the kids? I mean, the, sometimes the spouses can agree on how to disagree peaceably. But then when it comes to how do we do we read, you know, the stories of Noah and the Ark to the kids as though that's a real thing or. Yeah. And I know I know some people that have left the faith, especially like, I, I, was, I was talking to some ex-Mormons. Right. And they feel like they were abused, like they were they were kept from living mm. as little. And so for them. When they see somebody trying to indoctrinate a child into orig- thinking about original sin or you know hell and heaven thinking, they're right. like, "That's child abuse." Right. And yet, and they might be married to somebody for whom that is the most a- the, the 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 greatest act of love. Right. The essential parenting. And so it's just very yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean, it's funny. I think the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because 
one of the things that when I talk to people who have left Christianity is the most troubling to them is they liked the sense of mission yeah, that they had from that, the sense of personal ministry. Mm-hmm. And when they walk into my, my world, especially the secular student fellowship that we're running at USC, I'm always like, oh, no, no, you're going to have to have a ministry if you're going to be a happy person. Right. That like part of flourishing as a human being is doing work that makes life better for other people. Right. So the question I've got for every one of them is the same as I had when I was a Christian minister, which is what gifts and abilities do you have? And how are you going to use those to be a blessing to other people, right. to make other people's lives better, partly for their sake and partly because you're not going to feel, you're not going to enjoy your life unless you're engaged that way. Right. Yeah. For me, it's been a balance of, um, I mean, I think, and every one of us is a little bit different. I mean, some of us, like me, uh, I think what my mistake in ministry was that I gave away probably more of myself than I should yeah. have. Yeah. And I I really ran on empty for a while and I started having you know, physical symptoms of that as well as emotional symptoms. And so part of my stepping out of ministry, and we've talked about this over yeah, many, yeah, many yeah. times, just trying to heal from that and pay a little bit more attention to my own emotional health. But then when you sort of start to reach a kind of equilibrium around that, absolutely, I want to do something meaningful. And you know what? Here's the thing. Like we have talked about what happened to you. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if I've ever said this to you out loud, but like what I always feel like is, yeah, you gave too much. But also, like, you were giving out of the wrong part of yourself. Like, I, like not, all, not all the way, but what I mean is, like, I feel like you're such a thoughtful person, and you come up with such good ideas and content. You write well. You speak well. And I feel like as a pastor, a lot of times you were being asked to do what I do, which is to sit across the table and, like, be, like, crying with people and hurting with them. You and really love that. <laughs> I, it's 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 kind of what I do. Like, right, like right. I can convince somebody that I care about them in a way that opens them up. Right. Because I actually do care about them. Right. And, and then I can walk away from that and recharge really fast. Okay. But like, I feel like you were being asked to do a lot of that, mm-hmm. to deal with a lot of interpersonal conflict and stuff. And not that you're not a sensitive and lovely person. Sure. But I don't so. feel like... But when I'm saying to people, like, you've got to find out how you give in the world. Right. I feel like people get hurt not only when they're not giving at all, but when they're giving in a way that. Right. Doesn't line up with what they really have to give. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think that the pastorate wasn't like, I think that this stuff that you're doing now where you're, you're interacting with a lot of people all over the world and you're producing content. Right. I feel like that's more who you are yeah. than a local pastorate. And I think, too, the, the bound, I mean, every pastoral ministry is a little different. I think for me, the boundaries got real blurry. Yeah, yeah. And that was a problem for me. Like, so when I'm, when I'm coaching someone on the phone or on Skype uh, or when someone emails me and wants to talk about their deconversion and I write them, just correspond with them, I don't really end up losing much sleep over those yeah. people. Even my friend Walter, who passed away this morning, I mean, it's super sad. And I'm, you know, I have real fond memories of hanging out with him that night, but you know, I'm going to be okay, you know, and his family's going to be okay too. I have a sense of that. I feel like I don't take on people's stuff as, as easily as I once did. And I think that's about my own security. I mean, I think I onboarded a lot of other people's baggage because I was really wrapped up in them liking me and approving of me and really being I was enmeshed in some of those relationships in yeah. ministry. Whereas now I think I have a much healthier sense of 
separateness from people. And I think really it's what's really important in being able to give yourself to someone, uh, whether it's a total stranger or an intimate partner, is also having a sense of separateness from them and knowing who you are as a separate person and being able to find your own equilibrium yeah. as an individual. Then you have actually something to give. You know, it's, it, on Tuesday, um, we had uh, James Doty. Do you know who that is? I don't think so. Stanford neurosurgeon wrote a book called Into the Magic Shop. I mean, oh, wow. Like, he will turn you on. So, he's so great. But he's a neurosurgeon, and he and he runs the Stanford Center for um, the study of altruism and compassion. Oh wow! And it's basically he's he's basically studying how our brains work uh-huh. and their connection between our brains and our and our sort of our hearts, both literally and metaphorically. Okay. Anyway, he was talking about that when we're in a tribe, we, we were evolved to care for one another in a tribal setting. Sure. Where. By nurturing our children, we learn to take care of these children, to release emotions and have hormones and stuff that would enable us to take care of kids for 18 years or 20 years. And that's how we're able to have such big brains and cooperate and language and all that. But one of the things he said was, he said, because we're evolved to be in these tribes where we're comfortable with people, we put forth a tremendous amount of energy when we're with strangers. Hmm. Um, and, And when we're not being authentic. Like when we're in a setting where we can be who we really are, we release energy flows more naturally in our systems. But when we're trying to be someone we're not. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking about like trying to do this kind of ministry stuff, caring for other people's needs when you're in an inauthentic mode. Right. Like when you're, say, projecting that you're really confident in a belief system, but But you're you're really not. Right. And and I'm wondering if part of the reason you you have better not only better boundaries but maybe even some more energy right is because you're not spending as much time running back and forth between what you're saying to a person and what you're thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of cognitive dissonance is like a resistor in a, in a in an electrical yeah, system. Yeah. It just builds saps up heat energy. and energy, saps energy, yeah. and creates friction. And um, and I so I think not having to I mean, we're all accountable to someone. We're all responsible to be where we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do within certain limits. But to be accountable to something you truly don't believe in, it'd be like staying, I mean, well, people do this. I mean, it's like staying long-term with a partner that you don't love anymore and and pretending to love them and trying to love them and realizing in your deepest heart of hearts you don't love them. And that's that's hard to do. And if you're in love with someone, you can get through anything, yeah. you know, and you can yeah. really weather the storms. And, uh, I think when you, when I sensed that not only was I, I didn't really know that I was losing my faith in God and all the whole package, but I knew for sure that I wasn't in harmony with the denomination that I was paid by and had a fiduciary responsibility to stuff going on. Yeah, that was, that was tough. I mean, and I, so I think that did sap a lot of energy for me right now. Like I I was telling you that this guy picks me up on my bike, um, uh, uh, today and he says, he says, he knows me and he says, Hey, I'll give you a ride home. And, uh, I said, sure. Cause I'm late. Cause I got to get this microphone for, for this <laughs> podcast and everything. And he says, who are you interviewing today? And I said, Ryan Bell. He says, Oh my gosh. He says, I listened to you on his show and that got me listening to his show. Right. And he said, now yours are the two podcasts I like the best. That's cool. And it made me feel good. He said, because the thing is, he said, I used to listen to like, you know, like more of the atheist podcast. Sure. And he said, I agreed with everything that they were saying, but it didn't make me want to be a better person. Right. And he said, when I hang up, when, when I, when I'm done listening to you guys, 
I'm more excited about life. Like I have a better day. Right. Which made me just so happy. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this guy and I, I think what I realized is like, he said, it's, I think it's part of your ministry energy, mm-hmm. like that you're trying to encourage people not only to be comfortable with who they are, but you're saying to them, there's something for you to do out in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the after for me in life after God. So it's not so much like um, about God necessarily. It's what do I do with my time and energy and passion now that I yeah. don't direct it in this sort of church mode? Um, and and again, I would say for most of us, we are more the same as we were before than, than w- that we're different. You know, the only thing that's really different is that our, you know, and it's a big thing, granted, our worldview kind of what, where we place, um, our confidence is not in a supernatural being anymore, but our, our desires, our longings, our beliefs in terms of beliefs around. So, so, you know, one of my beliefs is that we can do better, you know, as a democracy, as a global community, we can do better in any number of things that we're currently doing. Some, some things well, some things not so well. And we owe it to ourselves to give it our best shot, you know, because like you said, this is the one life we get. And, um, and I mean, honestly, for me, that's where this community building thing is so important. And I know like, you, right. you know, I'm yeah, always yeah. pushing this because my experience with trying to do good, trying to like, 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 so I'm, I'm with, I'm at this Doty thing and he's saying, you can change people's lives by caring for them, by smiling at them, by talking to me, tells great stories about people that have intervened in other people's lives. And I'm like, Hey Jim, do not get a bunch of ex believers or non-believers convince them to go out there and start opening their hearts and their lives to broken people as individuals. Right. Because my experience is you, you tap into the right person or the wrong person Mm -hmm. and they will suck you dry Mm. and they will burn you out. That loving broken people is important, but it's a team sport. Yeah. And that's why I try to, like one of the reasons I want people in community is because then the, like, we pick up after each other. Somebody's a little bit down. We, you know, the, right. the, there's somebody who's super difficult, and I take him one holiday, and you take him the next holiday. <laughs> like that, there are yeah. people that we have to pass around. Sure. Because, or, or I see you in with somebody, and your boundaries are getting messed up. Right. And I'm supposed to intervene and go like, "Hey, take it easy. Take it easy. Yeah. You know, it's a long race here. Yeah. And I think that it's different to sort of the the telos of it. You know, the sort of the the end product is different. Like I'm not trying to save people in that sort of ultimate sense. No. Um, I'm just, I'm really comfortable walking with people for as long as we happen to be walking together. And then I'm not ultimately responsible for another person. I mean, I I'm responsible for doing the best I can under the circumstances that I'm in, but I'm not losing any sleep really over. You just have to let go yeah, and let yeah, God. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> let go and let something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I don't feel the need to like fix people the way I did before or save them or say the right thing exactly. Though I do feel like, you know, I have like like this person was saying, um, you know, you have the ability to really affect a person's life. Um, See, what's interesting is I feel that responsibility, if anything more mm. um not that i'm responsible for that person's life because people I, i'm more in tune with their dignity as yeah an their individual, autonomy yeah their autonomy but my responsibility to, to do my best right because i used to think there was somebody else that was going to clean up after me hmm. or who was mm. guiding me right and now i'm like dude do your homework think about what you're saying right like 
don't say anything if you don't know what you're talking about because there's I, I don't have this sense that there's like some magic backup plan backup plan right yeah I think it comes from different religious traditions too I mean I I and probably just temperaments like I think I just took a lot on you know personally so it's it's just nice to be free from those sorts of uh, false expectations for myself and for others. I'm sort of free to just be human, you know, just to have yeah. with, with my faults and my weaknesses. I'm much more comfortable saying, yeah, I'm really not strong in that area. And I, you, you should not depend on me to be yeah. X, Y, Z, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when I think about the kind of people that I sense are listening to you mm-hmm. or listening to me, mm-hmm. I mean, what's weird is, it used to be that I used to lay on people like, hey, there's little children starving. Hey, there's kids in the inner city that don't know how to, like, you can make a difference. And you, like, I was trying to lay on them like, you don't care about the needs of other people enough. And I'm here to stoke in you. What I feel like I'm doing now is I've got a bunch of people out there that are like, I want, I still want to care about other people. Right. But I'm not sure. Like when I was a Christian, I felt like it was, I was allowed to like evangelize or to try to impact other people's lives or try to draw them into my community. Right. Because like that was part of the game. Mm-hmm. But as a secular person, I feel like I'm, some people will say to me, I feel like I've lost my sense of purpose. Right. And what I want to say is like, you know, if that kid's out there, he's still needs to be drawn into a community. Sure. He still needs somebody to show him how to read. Like it's like you can still be a minister. Sure. You know, and I was yeah. I was joking. I said like in England, they have the minister of defense. They have the minister of agriculture. Well, I was just thinking that as we were you were using that word a minute ago and it, it doesn't mean religious ministry necessarily. It it's, means to apply goodness in an intentional way. Right. And I'm like I think every a field of influence, every human being, the whole world, you're not responsible to everybody, but every human being ought to have some place where they go like, you know what? Um, teaching those prisoners to read right. or um, helping, like helping those older people work out their finances or, but everybody ought to have a place in their life where they say, that's my ministry. Right. I minister to others. I, 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 I seek to be a blessing to other people in this way. I don't like it that sort of that's become a religious word. Right. No, I think that's true. And it can be, I think the range is wider in the secular community. Like, like you were saying before, sometimes in the religious community, we feel compelled to be ministers in a very prescribed way. You, you know, you either need to do, uh, you know, evangelism, pastoral, yeah. right. Or teaching little children in school or being a nurse, you know, essentially are your options or something. And, and now I feel like, you know, being a journalist is is a ministry, like telling people's stories, uh, uh, helping amplify the stories of others so yeah. that people have a, a more more sort of grist for their empathy mill, you know, like that they can hear a story and go, oh, wow, I didn't know that, um, you know, immigrants living in the United States had that experience. Yeah. You know, I thought they were just trying to take our jobs and, you know, milk our, our social services. But here I find out that, you know, because you told this story, um, this is what other people are experiencing and it can broaden people's horizons. You know, it, this guy from Brazil that I was talking to at the end of the conversation, one of the things he said to me was, he said, when I lost my faith, he said, I wasn't full of despair. I was full of excitement. I sort of all of a sudden felt like 
I wasn't a puppet in somebody else's puppet show. Interesting. But rather, I had all of a sudden, I was responsible for my own life. Yeah. And Ingersoll, my my hero, he writes about that same sort of sense of if there is no God, we are responsible for the destiny of humanity. That's right. And it, he was like, it's a tremendously dignified and, and sort of noble thing. Right. But one of the things this guy says to me is he says, I want to learn to talk about my, the excitement that I have with this life because he said, I know there are other people out there that are losing their faith in God and they're despairing because they think that there's nothing else. And he said, I think I want, one of the reasons I want to start articulating my own humanism is to give hope to other people that they can have. He said, that's what you gave to me on your podcast. You showed me, Hey, there's joy and there's excitement and there's friendship and there's possibilities. And he said, I want to give that to other people. And I think that like, that's one of the things I guess as people are sort of talking about the cost of, of opening up and the cost of being openly secular, Mm -hmm. there, there is a cost. Yeah. But there's also an opportunity to get, to give hope to other people. I agree. And I think sometimes, um, the, the cost comes first. Like that's the immediate experience. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I did year without God in 2014, I, I sort of positioned it as an experiment and some people didn't believe that it was really an experiment. They thought I had it all figured out from in advance and whatever. Um, but you know, it, it really was an experiment. I did not, I didn't know what atheism would feel like. I basically took a step into what I felt drawn into, which was that there's not a God, that there's, that this is all not true. And, but my, my sort of my thought question, my thought experiment was, what will that be like? To live like that. Yeah. To live like that or to just live without that security blanket or that sort of backup plan. So, and I'm all, I'm a little bit of an existentialist just dispositionally. I'm, I'm a little melancholy. Uh, and I, I sort of you grab, are you are you yeah you are that kind of like angsty guy yeah sort of intro introspective and and that kind of thing so I thought wow well this will be sort of my you really could be Mark Maron yeah you're way more like Mark <laughs> Maron than me well I'm like yeah I'm like I'm a bit of a nihilist and I don't I'm not ashamed of it yeah like, I, I think that there is a really profound sense in which at the end of the day or at the end of the universe there is nothing and it's and it's just so part of it for me was just becoming okay with that you know just being like yeah no i don't doesn't mean i have to commit suicide it just means that i have to be honest that i don't get a you know a cookie at the end of the race i just get to run the race and when it's over it's over that's it and uh and i so i thought okay that's what this is probably going to be like this is probably going to feel a little depressing and it was a little bit at first and then it's this experience that you're describing really sort of snuck up on me and i described it in the early days of year without god as a sense of immediacy that my life had a sense of immediacy that what so i i had developed this ritual of going to the art museum on saturday mornings instead of going to church which is what i used to do and there were food trucks there and they were all this international food lined up along wilshire boulevard by the art museum and i would go in the art museum and because i was a member i didn't have to take in the whole museum so i would go and do a bit of it then I'd go across the street and have food, and there's a bit of the Berlin Wall there, you know, exhibit on the street. Oh yeah, I know right where you are. Yeah, yeah, you know, right, you know right, exactly right, right by Lachma. Yeah, yeah. And and I just started thinking like, this is living. Like this is. There's nothing profound happening right now. I'm not changing anybody's life, but I'm experiencing 
the the product of these people's hard work on their their food and it was often the food of their ethnic origins and and then this beautiful art that's been preserved by people who care about culture and i thought this is this is good i feel happy i feel genuine genuinely happy i and i i felt like my, what's happening to me right this minute is the most important thing and i think religion at least my brand of it had really robbed me of that experience i was thinking about either my sins what i had done in the past or the, heaven and the eternal reward keeps you out of the present keeps me out of that's the present. not mindful yeah that yeah mindfulness so, is like stop that yeah and i didn't even i didn't even come by that experience of mindfulness intentionally it was sort of it snuck up on me and i remember hiking one day instead of going to the museum i went for a short hike and i just thought this is good life is good i'm i'm having fun i'm i'm really happy and i was going through some major losses right yeah, along yeah, yeah. with I that know. you know what i mean so it wasn't like I was just sort of like, woohoo, I'm footloose and fancy free. Like I was losing my marriage. I was, you know, sort of struggling with my relationship with my dad because he didn't know what I was going through. And a lot of my friends had sort of distanced themselves from me because yeah. of all of what I yeah. was doing. So it wasn't like I was just like living high on the high on the hog or something. And I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. So there were a lot of problems, but I just had this sense that what was in my life right now, what I was doing was the most important this thing. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And that included what you're also describing, which is I still care about economic inequality. I still care about, you know, you know, immigrants and, and people who don't have opportunities and violence and the way our city is structured in a way that leaves some people out. And, uh, and maybe just the guy sitting across from you on the bus who bursts into tears. Right. I still care about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I still care about, you know, my kid's future. I still care about their, uh, you know, their ability to learn to be compassionate, giving people. Um, yeah. So all these things I discovered were still true about me and that it didn't matter whether there was a, you know, a ticker tape parade at the end or something, you know, you know, it's so funny because I was talking to Roman um, the other day and you know, people who listen to this podcast, they're familiar with my son, Roman, who shows up here every now and again. And, uh, and he's a deep guy for, 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 for a kid. And so he says to me, he says, you know, he said, I'm so sick of the metaphor of a journey. People are always like, life is a journey. Life right. is a journey. It's like, he said, it's a crappy metaphor because he said, you know where that journey leads? <laughs> Nowhere. Nowhere. We all like, he said, life is not a journey. It's a dance. Mm. And he said, that's so good. Yeah. And he said, he said, a dance isn't about getting somewhere. Nope. There's no objective other than to enjoy. To dance. Right. To, yep. to be right there. And he said. And to be in sync with the music and the other person or the other. So it's not like, people. how's your journey going? Yep. But it's like, how are you dancing? Yeah. And, and we can dance well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the dance isn't going so well. Right. But it's not about it's getting somewhere. The whole point of dancing well. Hmm. Is, to, is right now. Right. Are you, are you, are you, are you liking it? Are you loving it? Yeah, and I think when you're dancing, and I'm not a good dancer. Um, I think I, I embarrass my girlfriend every time we go dancing, which then makes me self-conscious, right? And so then I become a worse dancer because I'm thinking about the dancing. You're, chill, you're totally killing my metaphor. Yeah, right. But no, but what I'm saying is that when you're really dancing, you're not even conscious of the effort that goes into the dance, right? You're just, you might go home and be like, wow, my feet hurt. But while you were dancing, you weren't thinking about your feet hurting. You were just enjoying this experience of just freedom. I think real dancing is an expression of freedom. Yeah. Your body's free, your mind is free, and you're just moving uh, the way that 
we we are able to every do. now and then you see a kid dancing unselfconsciously yeah and you just think yeah that's it that's it that's where we're all that's what we all got to get how we get older and then we worry about what other people think and well man i i mean the the other thing and we're not going to do this but the other thing I wanted to t- do is I wanted to s- sort of say, like, we should have a conversation about all the stuff and all the people that have helped us most. Right. Let's like do it. This book, that thing, oh, yeah. that movie, this image, that poem. Because I've got a bunch of them. I know you got a bunch. Oh, of them. yeah. And we should just swap those suckers Let's out. Let's do it. Um, so we'll do that another time. Sounds great. This was really. It's fun. Just like talk a little shop. And you know what? Like Mark Marin, when he does his podcast. Guys come by. They say they come by the garage. Yep. And then like they're like, "Hey, I gotta go. I got a plane to catch. I got yeah." And you're always like, "Do they really, or are they just wrapping up?" But like, you really have to go to work. I have to go to work. Yeah, I got half my uniform on, and yeah, and, and believe me, like, it's it's a it's a good look. <laughs> People for, are waiting for their beer, man. Yeah. I gotta get so gotta like get go to work. Thank you. Thanks for coming by. Yeah. Thanks for having this me. This was awesome. All right, yeah. man. All right. Talk to you talk later. To you later. Right. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org. Hey.